You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Let's see, what are we talking about today with Father Tim Grumbach, Associate Marriage and, Fa- Associate Marriage and uh, Family Therapist. My brain's looking at the computer sometimes screen. Sometimes I feel like it. Oh, you are. This is the role of a pastor sometimes, right? So he's an associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles. See, this is why hang my, um, my multitasking. It doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I've got to get to the doctor later today. So they're like, you have to fast for like eight hours. So I'm like, oh, I'm good at fasting. No, I'm like, I'm hungry. And some words will come out of my mouth and uh, hopefully the right ones. In other words, Father Tim's looking at me and he's like, okay, you just said the way the wrong thing. I'm the one who's fasting here. We're off to the best start ever. <laughs> and you know what the great part is? This I'm going to tease you for a second. He's like, yeah, I've got to fast for eight hours today before my doctor's appointment. So I woke up extra early so I could get a meal in. Isn't that, though, how religious fasting goes? We're like, oh, yeah, it's Ash Wednesday. And then we fast until midnight and are terrible and like have in and out at 1 a.m. And then some people ask me about the Eucharistic fast. It's like, no, it's an hour before communion. So if you just had like a donut before mass, I'll just preach for like 20 or 30 minutes and you'll be good by the time (laughs) communion comes along. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, Yeah, I'll just preach longer. So hour and a half mass, no big deal. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. We have a priest, not a marriage and family therapist. If you heard my uh, slip earlier in the show, thanks for joining us. We're going to be talking about things such as Duolingo. Who's learning a new language on their phone? This is awesome. What are you learning? Oh, I'm learning Latin and French. Awesome. I was learning Italian a few years ago. Totally forgot about it. And now I'm learning Latin and it's coming really slow, but it's happening. We're going to be talking about this crossover into transgenderism, a Star Wars, cartoons for kids. We will be talking about so many important issues, but at the end of the show, you don't want to miss this. We will be talking about what chastity is. There's much more to be said for a married person, for a priest, religious, for a single person. So you don't want to miss this episode with Father Tim Grumbach. I want to start today, Father Tim, you sent over an article that really piqued your interest coming from Europe. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're looking at the, how the biblical worldview is apparently incompatible with human dignity. And so this article that we're looking at is there's a, a, a Christian man who actually lost his job because he uh, refused to use the preferred pronouns of some of the people that he was working with. And so this compelled speech and now having lost his job. And, you know, it's really incredible because I, my understanding of course, is that England has very different free speech laws, but that this still cost him his job that he, it wasn't a matter of um, even of refusing to use certain pronouns. It was refuse. It was, it was a, a matter of actually not using them. Right. And this is what's fascinating. This was actually a medical doctor. And I'm sorry if I had a doctor and I was confused about how I identified, you better bet that I would still want my doctor to treat my body according to reality. Because if he didn't, he could just make up whatever procedure he wanted. I mean, if I'm not a female individual who needs to have her body parts treated as such, then 
why even have medical care if I'm not going to be treated that way? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So, I mean, this is where the truth of the matter comes in. And as Father Tim said, he was denied the ability to refer to someone as their biological sex. It, it claims that this is incompatible with human dignity and in fact claims that it conflicts with the rights of others. The tribunal's ruling actually explicitly mentioned Genesis 127. You know, male and female, God created them. And that they actually are looking at a religious belief that is something is actually in scripture and saying it's incompatible with human dignity, it's, it, it blows my mind. This is 1984's doublespeak coming to life, is that where you have to say one thing and believe another at the same time. This isn't just cognitive dissonance. This is, they said that, you, yeah, you're allowed to have free speech, just not in this case. Well, this is what's fascinating. For the English, this is the first time in their history that a citizen in English in English, in England, my words are off today, but that a citizen in England is forced to engage in compelled speech. They're telling you how you have to speak. And this is a scandal of being forced to do something that we have been beginning to face here in various states in the United States, and now they're facing there in England. Yeah. What's most troubling to me in this case is that it is claiming it is against human dignity to refer to Genesis 127, 126 and 127. It's, you know, God's desire to create mankind in his image. The very concept of human dignity comes (laughs) from those two verses. Exactly. Uh, Okay. Oh, they're using our language. This Mm -hmm. is what's interesting because to be honest, like 10 years ago, if someone were to say the word human dignity, we must respect human dignity. I used to train people in public relations work and media work. And when I'd hear someone going up to do a secular interview talking about human dignity, I said, don't use the word. Talk about the value of the person. Mm -hmm. Use words that are relatable because you say human dignity, you're talking in church speech. It used to be and a word that people really don't understand what it holds behind. Behind it, mm-hmm. and what it holds behind it is, you know, just even looking at the the Hebrew from that scripture verse. Well, they refer to one twenty seven. It's a begins at one twenty six is the creation of mankind, where God's desire is to create uh, humankind, male and female. He created them in His image. It's, you know, Batzal Menu is it. It comes from in our image. And it can be said that it's the image of a, a god being placed into his temple. It was a, a, you know, a, a tradition of these ancient Near East religions to have their, the image of their gods placed in their temples as, as, as protectors. And in a sense, to gather together the praises of the people and to lift it up to that god. And so God is placing us, not as idols, but as his image into the Garden of Eden, where we're supposed to, in our human dignity, in our ability to worship God as male and as female, to gather the praises of creation and lift it up to God and then bring the love of God down to creation and share it. The Imago Dei, a little bit of Latin there for you, the image of God is what gives us human dignity. Mm-hmm. To, so it's, this, is, this is demonic to say that the very foundation of our understanding of Imago Dei, of the image of God, the the person created in the image and likeness of God, which has done so much for humanity without the concept of the Christian Imago Dei, without that understanding, the world would would be immersed even more so in in slavery and uh, depression and war if it weren't for the Christian image of the human person. 
That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. And this value that we have based on the dignity of the human person is what has compelled Christianity to start the hospitals of the world, to start the educational systems of the world. This is what compelled the Catholic Church to make sure that women were free to consent in marriage and weren't being forced into marriages. And this is where the human person has this foundation and dignity because to be dignified means to have intellect to be able to come to know something and to have free will to freely choose it and that with our dignity yes we are called to this great worship and glory of god and so this reversal of language that's being placed on us it's ironic because if you look at the verbiage and some of the statements coming out of the employment tribunal there in england they're saying that christianity is protected but being male and female is not the two go hand in hand and essentially they're saying that reality is not protected because what is male and what is female is true. It's not only written into the basic reproductive anatomy, but it's even written into every cell of the human body, whether you are male or female and how your muscles and your body engages. Yeah, praise God for the, the great gift of the theology of the body that John Paul II spent his life for. You know, not just as a matter of teaching, but by the end of his life, you know, it was a, a living example of the dignity of the human person, especially at the end of life. And to watch him you know, waste away, to watch his body waste away, but to know that there was still this great intellect, but even greater spirit that was there. Be- and you know, that he, he wasn't going to step aside. Um, you know, some could say that you know, our church is struggling a little bit because of you know, the power vacuum that was created, in a sense, when John Paul II lost a lot of his physical ability but I think one could almost say that it was worth it to see the, the example of living out that dignity even at the end of life. So he showed us, you know, taught us not just how to live, but showed us, you know, in a sense, how to die as Christians as well. Um, and one could say that the theology of the body was given into our hands as a gift four times such as these, so that we have the language to speak about the dignity of the human person created male and female. And yes, so many people are going through difficult experiences and um, we have to be able to walk with them most certainly, but we also, you know, we can take up you know, the, the cry of this, this doctor who, who said he, he couldn't use these pronouns in good conscience. He said it would be irresponsible for a doctor to accommodate or encourage a patient's impersonation of the opposite sex. It's really hard language for some people to hear, I'm sure, but he gets at something very important that that it's an impersonation. Right. And And he says he's not able to practice medicine if he can't look at a human person as a male or female. It's intellectually wrong. And not only that, it's morally wrong as a medical professional. You know, another thing kind of tying to this whole issue in this era of confusion that we are in There's this magazine that I think is predominantly online. I was sent one of the articles via Instagram of two quote unquote men, Spencer and Kelly, but actually Spencer is a biological woman and Kelly is a biological man. Now these, these two, it's the claim that, well, two dads are having a baby. Two dads are pregnant. That's not the truth. A woman and a man are pregnant. It's being featured in mother magazine. They've opened their life up to be followed through all three trimesters of their journey. And the story is 
really fascinating to see, you know, the wounds and the terminology, the language they use throughout the articles and how they're trying so hard to influence the world in Mother Magazine with this story. And they're like, you know, just accept, you know, these are other other ways to do things. There's just other ways and, you know, just be respectful of this. And it's interesting at the beginning of one of the articles, it says that uh, Spencer, who is a, actually a woman, presented as 100% male ever since having a mastectomy. And I thought it was interesting because there are multiple times where Spencer's 100% male. I'm like, how do you just make some random statement when biologically we know that this is a woman having a child? Well, the language of this article is, is again, so weaponized. It's, it's made to get certain points across. <clears throat> Um, what really struck me, and I, I, I don't know if it was a, a typo or it's just a, a way of using the language that I haven't seen before, but Spencer described, you know, I don't know, herself. herself, himself, it's as, really a woman. as being read as a man. Yeah. And I had never seen that before. I don't know if that's a, a, that the language is used that way often, but it got me thinking about, you know, it's not about being seen. It's not about being uh, experienced. It's about being read almost like a book. So that you can write your own story and now yeah. you're being read as a man even right. though you're bi- biologically a female and so um, again i wasn't sure if that was a typo or if that was the language is being used in a very specific way i, I don't know how the um, the transgender uh, community if you will yeah. um, if that's something typical of the language they use is that you know i'm going to be read this way and so i was thinking well that's like a book so you're writing your own story and your own interpretation right and so your body is just you know, something that you can change at your will as right. you as you write as if you're writing a story you know scripturally we know your body does not belong to yourself you were ransomed at a great price then, right you know. for the sake of helping you the listener so we'll refer to the woman and the man as such even though they identify separately we'll be referring yeah. to biological reality but the man ends up commenting about how when the person he thought was a man came up to him and was very chivalrous and was the most modern day type of chivalry that he had ever experienced and here's what's interesting even though these people are saying, well, I identify as this, I identify as that. It's fascinating to me because within the transgender and gay community, there is still this ideal of masculinity. There's still this ideal of chivalry that they have ingrained in them, despite trying to say that they're fluid and they identify however they want. They hold to an ideal. So uh, the man is trying to say that this woman had such a manly and chivalrous side to her when she kind of approached him to ask him out. Yeah. Well, it's always been one of the great questions of the experience of a person who identifies as transgender is how do they know for sure what it's like to be if one is biologically a male? What, how do they know that they are experiencing life as a woman? Mm-hmm. How do they know what it's like to be a woman? They may have some you know, hints and clues from their experience of women in the culture but to know in their most intimate uh, part of who they are, oh, I must be a woman. You know, how, how does one know that? It's an important question to ask. Um, and the the matter of language of whether or not we call them, you know, hims or hers, he's or she's. Uh, you know, are you confused th- yet? <laughs> th- yeah. Well, and you know, right now we also have to be very careful about the way that we use the language because there are some in the church who will capitulate and say, yes, use the language they prefer. Because for so long they've been called what they don't I- identify as, so let's uh, accommodate them. And you know, 
very loud voices in the church, very prominent yeah. voices who get to meet with the Pope are using <laughs> are, are saying oh, it's important okay. for us <laughs> to use their their language that they've chosen for themselves. Right. But you know, as we just saw with the doctor in England, you know, it, it may be more respectful not to use the language that they are you know impersonating. Mm -hmm. One could say so. It could so, be harmful. Yeah. So it's a it's a difficult balance to meet pastorally. One more uh, little comment uh, I just wanted to make about the story of these two people who are having a baby is that as they're kind of identifying, so the man identifies as queer, mm -hmm. uh, but the woman identifies as a man. And throughout the story, there are little tidbits where you hear them saying things like it was so hard to try and reject basically their biological femininity or where the gentleman in the story ends up talking about and preparing a home for their child, how they're creating the home that they always wanted to live in, to be brought up in and get to live in like these things that show there's this longing, this brokenness that's there that they want to try and fix in some way that they missed out on in their mm -hmm. upbringing. Yeah, I would be curious to hear a little bit more about their story to actually get to know them other than just these are the pictures that we've created the environment and we want you to see how lovely this experience is and you know I can say you know looking at the pictures that they've kind of put this photographic journal together so that we the reader of the article can experience what they're experiencing in this uh, gestational period and just the language that they use let me get at that a another couple of lines that really yeah. struck me was um, says that Spencer was still physiologically equipped to get pregnant. You know, she's still a woman in, yeah, in a sense, a woman. but you can't say that. Uh, uh, and Spencer, the gestational carrier, is a transgender male. The gestational carrier, that's a yeah, new one. Yeah, I, I don't know how that adds to the, the dignity of the human person to refer to somebody in such a robo robotic mechanic Right. Uh, you know, purely biological reductionist right, type right. of mentality. I, I know. I understand that they're they're trying to present Spencer as a father, and so to say that Spencer is a mother because that's what she is because she has a child in her womb, and um, she's biologically a and female. She's biologically a female, but this this you know, give it all this this do or die. We need to use this language to get this point across that they had to create these new terms that sound so lifeless. It, right. it sounds like a, an artificial womb right. to speak of somebody as a gestational carrier. And how does that protect the human dignity of a person? Well, and isn't it interesting because Dr. Lana Wen, who was the president of Planned Parenthood resigned. And one of the things that we've come to understand that she pushed back against the rest of the organization with is she refused to refer to quote unquote pregnant person. She mm -hmm. still wanted to stay a biologically male or female correctly. And I think there's a testament to the good she saw there and truth is truth with regard to medical care. And that is a very important for those who are just joining us. That's Father Tim Grumbach and you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I want to talk about just the scandal and confusion that's being said. So on one side, we could talk about the story and Mother Magazine that no big deal, you know, two dudes are having a kid and look at this, isn't it great? And it's just an alternative lifestyle. But in reality, that's not the truth. It's a woman and a man. And in reality, when you live a gay, actively gay or transgender lifestyle, and I'm talking about sexually active in various ways, which usually include multiple partners, um, engaging in types of sexual intimacy or, that are not for how the body is created to engage, you have high level risks of STDs, HIV and AIDS, hepatitis, cancer, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, colon cancer, HPV, 
leading to anal cancer. You guys, I could go through the list. Michael Gasparro and I were talking about 10 things that people who identify with certain types of alternative lifestyles, some people say, should talk about with their medical care professionals. This is a big deal. And so to just showcase a story so blasely on Instagram or Twitter or in a magazine, you are leading others into a very harmful lifestyle that you're not talking about those elements. And this is the same thing with this new story about Disney right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're looking at the way that uh, even Disney itself will be teaching our young people about the experience of sexuality just by the kinds of characters, friendships, relationships that they've created. Uh, we're especially looking at uh, one of the Star Wars cartoons. Yes. Um, what's the name of the show? Star this Wars Resistance. Star Wars Resistance. Yeah, they're yeah. confirming that Orca and Fel- and Felix or flicks, I think I might be saying yeah. it wrong, that these two are indeed a item, mm-hmm. which are two males, apparently. Yes, and that they're proud of their two characters who are a gay couple. Yeah. Why? For yeah. kids. Yeah. Is this necessary? Same thing with the show Arthur. So many of us grew up on Arthur. Oh, right. Why? Yeah. 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 Well, it's uh, um, one may be virtue signaling. The other may be that uh, they understand the power of their show to teach and to educate and um Perhaps our parents uh, have given over their primary responsibility as educators, uh, maybe because of you know feeling unfit for the role, um, maybe misunderstanding that that is their role and what it consists of. That the um, you know call it the government, call it the uh, the entertainment industries, other groups are coming in to present themselves as the primary educators of our young people, and it will happen. You know, on our Saturday morning cartoons now. Well, it has been. It has been for for as long as there have been Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. They've been teaching our young people. Well, and it's allowed for adult content to enter into children's shows, children's educational systems. And it's absolutely unacceptable. And it's interesting because I was reading part of the article about the Star Wars Resistance characters on Disney and someone was commenting about how, well, they're just a bunch of, you know, space creatures. And this one's really just a blob. And this one's this. Like, they're not really people. So since we're in space, anything goes. Since mm. they're not human, anything goes. Well, something stood out to me about that. And it's this. If there's no value and dignity to the human person, if there's nothing to speak of with regard to our maleness as male and femaleness as female, If our reproductive systems don't matter, if human life can be wasted away through abortion, if all of it doesn't matter, well, then have at it and have fun. There's no meaning to anything. Yeah, I was really saddened by that sentiment actually coming from Donald Glover, who played Lando Calrissian in the solo Star Wars uh, movie that came out. Was it last year? I think. And uh, the question he asks is, how can you not be pansexual in space, right? You've got robots, you've got blobs, you've got, you know, whatever. And it's this ridiculous, dare I say, idiotic sentiment that once I leave Earth and I leave this life, uh, this, this, this world, this life that I know it, and I go out there, the, the moral standards that we have here don't apply out there. And so I can become... Uh, a moral standard of my own. And so why should I you know, even think about holding the standards of, of here on Earth? And so, you know, which is really sad because, you know, the Star Wars story, the mythology of Star Wars at its core from the beginning was about this battle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And so there was a morality. And so now it's becoming, you know, you have these characters who are 
trying to blur the lines and create their own morality. And that's happening in the cartoons, but it's also happening in just these interviews with the stars of the movies who say, well, yeah, if, if I was this person, not just acting as this person, but if I was him, I would be out doing this and doing that. And I would be a morality to myself. And that has been the fall from the very beginning of humanity. Well, isn't it interesting because as you see the most recent Star Wars movies as well, with the resistance, right, you've seen this lack of clarity in their mission, a lack of who they're actually fighting against, a lack of purpose. My brother and I will go round and round talking about this. And there's this kind of idea that they don't really know what they're fighting for. And that's the problem. A real good story shows that there is a good side and there is a bad side and that good always must conquer over evil. And even if the characters struggle along the way, that is the truth of the story. And I've always thought that, yes, you know, real life is a little more complicated than this person is bad and I am good and I have to fight and defeat that person. But we still need stories that tell us there is such thing as good, there is such thing as evil, and the promise that good will be victorious over evil in the end, because that's the truth, the proclamation of the gospel, and that gets lost in a lot of modern storytelling, which seeks to be edgy by making it so gray. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. A thank you to Solidarity HealthShare, who is a supporter here of Trending. Solidarity HealthShare is simple. They help their members pay for affordable and quality health care by enabling the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. So you can choose your doctor who you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible for sharing. And Solidarity is the only healthcare ministry that allows for coverage of NAPRO technology for fertility and fertility and costs associated with natural family planning. So you can learn more about Solidarity HealthShare at SolidarityHealthShare.org. Father Tim Grumbach is in studio with me, and we've been having fun learning some languages on Duolingo over the years. And in fact, Duolingo has become really prominent within the high school and middle school educational systems as well, because it's so well put together. You can learn Italian, you can learn French. And in fact, they've even offered what they claimed years ago was a language they would never offer, a dead language called Latin. Ooh, a dead language. Shall we get into <laughs> that? No, it's a it's a beautiful and sacred language, which, uh, which protects and keeps safe the sacred things of our of our catholic faith and yet um, they've found ways to distort it uh, we we're looking at the way that yes duolingo teaches our young people and we were just saying how you know saturday morning cartoons used to take that role away from our parents and whatnot but we're looking at the way that the um the gender ideology has even found its way into the lessons that right. are being taught in Duolingo and lessons, uh, apps, yeah, you name yeah, it, it's yeah, everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, aside from the ideology itself, the app is great because it taps into all the addictive things that video games and, <laughs> and, you know, these other apps and, and social media uses the, the bright colors for the notifications. So your yeah. brain is getting a little bit of a, even uh, the sounds, yeah, yes, even, even the, the sounds <laughs> so that, you know, when you've succeeded, you get this little dopamine rush and, yes. and you know, I've noticed like, Oh, I want to go back to this and, and keep learning. You know, even though I'm tired, even though, you know, maybe I'm done for the day, I've done too much, but you know, I want that tiny little bit of a dopamine rush that I can get from having succeeded in, you know, in, in properly conjugating and uh, 
and using the proper declensions in Latin and whatnot. And <laughs> That's probably why I failed in part at uh, staying consistent with learning Latin because yeah. I have my phone on black and yeah, white, right, as yeah. do you. Mm -hmm. And then also I don't have the sounds on, so it's right. very anticlimactic. My husband will be sitting there. He's like, come on, turn the noise on. I'm like, no, your noise is getting in the way of my pronunciation, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you, you have a husband. You, you can have a husband because that's interesting because this picture I've just pulled up on my phone because it was one of the lessons for Latin. It's um, the correct answer was maritus maritum habet, which is the husband has a husband. And uh, the very next lesson, uh, the, the Latin was femina uxorem habet, the woman has a wife. So in other words, Duolingo is trying to teach everyone, not just children, but anyone using this app that male on male and female on female is totally game. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that is being ingrained everywhere. Yeah. Well, there's almost a tremendous irony here to because these are the Latin lessons, right? Right. Um, who in the world is learning Latin that's not Catholic, right? You know, uh, through Duolingo. Um, right. Okay, so maybe there are some out there, but um, at least in the social media circles that I run in, the people who want to learn Latin are the people who want to become more familiar so as to um, appreciate and dive more deeply into the tradition of the church. And so while not everyone is on Latin, you know, studying Latin on Duolingo, I'm also learning French. And very early on in the lessons was, you know, there's this very cute picture of, of a, a man named Daniel holding the hand of a man named Pedro. And the correct answer is, ils sont mariés. They are married in the masculine. And, uh, and there was a later one. I didn't get a picture of it, but uh, I was so tired of this stuff by the mm -hmm. time we got around to it. But um, it shows Daniel and Pedro again, but they've got like five kids surrounding them. And it's like, <laughs> You're like it don't work that way. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like that they have five children. I'm like, I'm not sure how they got this. I mean, you know. Okay, so here's a comment on that last area. People, especially young people, I mean, I'm talking high school going into college and even a little later are sometimes somewhat ignorant of the biological reality of how children really do work. And I'm afraid that with the rewriting of medical textbooks, the rewriting of an ideology taught in the schools, that people are gonna be really surprised when they find I can't have children. Mm -hmm. um, not only because they're taking hormonal contraceptives and things that are causing permanent, uh, at times permanent or long-term infertility, but that the ideology of marriage and love is not fruitful in the way that the culture is presenting it, mm -hmm. it doesn't lead to the option where two men can have five children biologically. Right. And even if they do have five children that are not their biological children, that's going to come with a lot of challenges in the upbringing of those children, both in terms of what they need and also in terms of what these two quote unquote partners are giving and receiving from each other. And as we were talking about earlier on the last episode was this contraceptive mentality mm -hmm. and that that's being built into this, this new idea ideology of sexuality is that not only in this gender ideology where you know on duolingo a, a husband can have a husband and a woman can have a wife and and daniel and pedro are married you know i i, I need to be careful i don't want i don't want to be you know mocking the, the people who this is their experience in life i want to be mocking the language and the way that it's, they're trying to teach it through these language courses but that I'm laughing at the yeah. confusion. Right, right, that's that's yeah. what's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not going to be reading in any of my liturgical books that the husband has a husband, right? right. You know, that's the reason I'm learning Latin. But that um, while we're kind of laughing at the ridiculousness of, ridiculousness of this being taught through this, you know, you know, color exploding app that mm -hmm. is meant to keep your attention, um, we're also worried about this contraceptive mentality in the culture where you know, you know, there may actually be 
teenagers, you're saying, who don't understand how the, sex, the biology of sexuality works, um, but they're also being taught that sex is not meant for procreation. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are some, I, I imagine probably even there are some doctors out there who are saying, no, the reason for, for sex is not mm-hmm. children, it's for pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. You know, they'll even say it's, it's even to, to unite a couple and, yeah. But that's why the church for centuries taught as the primary uh, end to married life was the bearing and rearing and education of children. Yeah, marriage wasn't yeah. just for the sex and the love in and of itself, but it was right. oriented always from its inception yeah. toward having children. Yeah, and the, the language in the church's modern magisterium has somewhat softened the language and, and brought the idea of the marriage covenant of the union between husband and wife to the forefront as almost the primary ends of marriage. Um, but you know, JP two in his theology of the body, while he, he really Clarify. led it in that direction. He was very clear that you, know, you, you can't speak of union between husband and wife without also speaking about the procreative yeah. ends to marriage. So we have a culture that is seeing that, you know, um, husbands, husband and husband can have five children, and they're, but they're also seeing that the reason for sex is not to have children. It's this tremendously conflicting you know, ideology that's being fed now through our Saturday morning cartoons and through Duolingo. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That's Father Tim Grumbach. And one comment I wanted to make there is that the church hasn't actually downplayed that the primary end right. is having children and more so bringing them up right in the faith and truth. But what GP2 did, as you're saying here, I just want to emphasize it because it's so important. He elevated saying, let's not reduce marital intimacy of the spouses. What the spouses has is so good Mm -hmm. and it is uniting and it's for the good of the community. It is to help sanctify one another because there was this movement for so long that kind of downplayed the marital embrace between husband and wife and that relationship they had that he said, no, no, this has great value. Mm -hmm. And we need to recognize this in a culture that is devaluing sexuality and also recognize that that life that comes from it is what brings even greater fruit in relationships. Yeah. And his great work, love and responsibility Mm -hmm. that he wrote as Carol Wojtyla before he became Pope, but it became more widely known as, uh, as he was John Paul II. He pointed out that we are not the same as the beasts. We are not the same as animals we have some of the same of the similar uh, drives it was a, a very important language for him was these drives and these instincts that lead towards you know procreation but we as humans have a certain uh, ability to love which and with that comes the responsibility to know that you know our sexuality is more than our biology more than something biological and unfortunately you know, even for the sake of pleasure, our young people are being taught that sexuality is a matter of pleasure, and even that pleasure is merely, you know, dopamine in your brain or or whatever it might be. All these all these you know, pleasure chemicals in your brain, and so the reason why you want sex is not to have children. The reason you want sex is to have pleasure, and you were uh, biologically made that way, and you don't need to understand yourself any further than that. And your identity is about your attractions and what can bring you pleasure rather than God has given you the power and the authority and the responsibility to bring new life into the world and not just into the world, but into eternal life. 
Mm-hmm. Father, I want to transition gears a little bit here and talk for a minute about the movie The Joker, because mm. I know you went to see it, yeah. kind of warnings and thoughts, and really you said something that really stood out to you about the movie. Right, and we've been talking about the dignity of the human person, and you can almost see it in, in the reverse in a movie like this. Is The, the, the Joker has always been... Uh, it's 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 almost like you, you you like to hate him. It's it's you know one of our favorite great super villains in all of comic book history, probably one of the greatest. Um, and yet this gives a very different take on it. I won't give any spoilers spoilers to the movie, other than to say that the emphasis is not on this maniacal supervillain who is evil right down to the core, but it's it's a movie about mental illness. And as I was saying earlier today, this reality that people break people and leave them on the streets. And it's the story of somebody fighting back and finding uh, a fulfillment, finding the attention that they never got in this violence. And so people have been really concerned about this movie that it was going to cause violence. It was going to give a very real image of how to handle one's mental illness by lashing back out. And um, I, I don't know if that's happening, but it's so disturbing and so dark a movie because it it seems so real and it's you know that that could be the guy who's living on the street mm-hmm. you know out, outside my house outside my church wherever it is and so the, the reality of it is so dark that it really concerns me that there are there's a generation of people taking this stuff in and this entertainment who don't have a method of prayer to bring that brokenness before god You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Thoughts on the movie The Joker. Father Tim Grumbach is with me in studio, and he had thoughts. He was talking about how there's a problem when, whether it's a Joker or any other show or maybe place we're stuck in, or even looking at the culture right now, when we're stuck in this darkness or the depression, the mental illness that permeates in so much of what we're exposed to, what happens if we just sit in that and don't have the necessary faithful things? Yeah, as soon as the movie ended, I wanted to stand up and yell, now what are we going to do with this? What do you, you know, I don't know anyone else's heart in that full movie theater, but I knew that I was going to walk back to my parish, which is only a few blocks away from the movie theater. I was going to kneel down before the tabernacle and say, Jesus, this is what I just saw, and I need healing because of how dark it was. I don't know if anyone else was going to be doing that. So I wonder if there are a couple of different responses that these people who've taken in this this entertainment who've taken in this story and this darkness, how are they going to handle that? And I wonder if one of them is what the media seems more concerned about happening is somebody lashing out in Mm -hmm. the same way that, you know, you'll get these copycat Joker killers out on the streets, you know, almost like the, the clowns that were wandering around in the forests in the in the south what a couple years ago and everyone was afraid of these killer clowns and that was so weird <laughs> that is creepy um, but um, so one concern is these imitating what one sees in in the art what concerns me even more though is that people not even acknowledging what they just saw and it builds up in them that there's this darkness that they've just taken in and they can laugh it off mm-hmm. you know some of the uh, you know, I remember seeing John Wick 3 and, you know, some of these other really violent movies and some of the most uncomfortably violent moments, some of the most graphic violence, you know, the theater would be full of laughter, but it's not like a, that was hilarious. It was just a very nervous mm-hmm. laughter. And I heard some of that while watching Joker 
And it really concerned me that, you know, I could go home and I have the Blessed Sacrament before me and I'm going to spend some time there and unwind and let Jesus have it. But how is anyone else in that theater going to deal with what they just saw? And I think it's a challenge to us whether we're talking about, you know, Arthur, we're talking about the Star Wars Resistance cartoon, we're talking about the Joker. We're at a point in time where it's hard to consume media today without being overly influenced emotionally, mentally. And we could go on scandalized even, or, you know, we also pay with our eyeballs. So what we're giving our support to, it's time to remember that we are called to holiness and to be holy is to be set apart. And so what are you doing to refrain from certain activities or certain shows for the sake of your holiness, for the sake of your salvation here and now, and for the sake of others? Yeah. And that was a question that people were asking me when I mentioned this on the Twitter was that I, you know, I just saw Joker, but, and I'm going home to pray, but I don't know about all these other people, how they're going to handle that. You yeah. know? And people were asking me like, why would you even go see that? Or, you know, that's, it's so, so dark. Why would you let that into your life? And that's a good question. Still trying to answer it. You know, I started reading Stephen King when I was in fifth grade. And so I've been, you know, close to and near these stories most of my life. And I do recognize the, the way that it impacts me spiritually, but I know that I can bring it to prayer. And I know that, you know, these, you know, so I'm still trying to discover why I'm so drawn to these stories, but how do we handle it since we're consuming it? You know, do we let it consume us? Do we let it shape the way that we relate to other people? Do I learn to distrust the people who are experiencing homelessness on the street now because there's this story of a mentally ill man who becomes Joker? You know, how does it affect the people right in front of me? And I don't think people are asking that question about entertainment because they say, oh, it's just a movie. And mm -hmm. so that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's just a movie. I don't have to worry about the way it's affecting me. I'm saying I recognize the way it's affecting me and I'm going to keep on watching these things for, you know, for the time being, but it's also shaping the way that I pray it's helping me to meet the people that are in front of me without seeing them as just, you know, as nothing, but seeing what could happen to them. Well, I think that it's a important message of discernment mm -hmm. as well. You know, you and I were talking er earlier in the last show about discernment and some people just don't do anything and other people jump in too soon. And, you know, there's this balance, but are we actually taking the time to discern and think through our motives? You know, okay, there's a follow-up in a movie series I really want to see, or there's this book, or maybe there's this person I want to hang out with, but, are we asking the question, is this good for my soul? Yeah. And it may not be an outright obvious evil, but I think that we need to take on that responsibility, like you're saying, Father Tim, of really questioning our own motives at times and then acting upon them. Yeah, and being honest about it and, and willing to ask the difficult questions of what what media, what entertainment brings up in us. You know, A couple nights after seeing Joker, I went and saw Ad Astra. And, you know, I definitely won't spoil that one because I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, a, it asked some important questions and, you know, it wasn't a perfect movie, but one of the major questions throughout it, as in most space travel movies is, are we alone? And, you know, I won't give you the answer that the movie gives, but, you know, whether or not we're alone or not, you know, people will just approach it from a scientific standpoint and say, yeah, there must be something out there without asking the question of, okay, what if there is nothing else out there but us? what does that put us in relationship? How does that put us into relationship with God, with the creator? Mm. Um, you know, are you willing to ask those questions? Because either way, if there's intelligent life out there or not, if there's not, it's a terrifying thing that we are alone in this universe. But our faith tells us that, you know, that we have God, that 
no matter how big the universe and how insignificant we may seem, that makes God's love even greater for us. But then if we are not alone, you know, what does that say about you know, God's creative ability? Well, you know, it, the questions, they stop asking the questions when they start getting really good. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the concern with movies like this. You know, with Joker, with Ad Astra, two very different movies, very different stories. You know, I, I'm afraid our, our society, and again, I don't wanna just lump it in with culture or society, but the individuals, people yeah. stop asking the questions when they get good. Well, we even start asking the questions when we achieve that next level of something we've been working toward. And then we just kind of sit in it and maybe forget what our purpose is, forget mm -hmm. the morality, forget you know the code of ethics that we had. Father Tim Grumbach is here with us for Trending with Timory. I want to change gears here and talk about chastity for a minute. I often get a lot of questions surrounding chastity, marital chastity, and so forth. Let's dive in a little bit. One of my favorite parts of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is actually the long section on chastity. Mm -hmm. And especially where it points us in the direction of understanding not just chastity, but the whole of Christian life and aestheticism. It talks about how self-mastery is, I'm going to quote, long and exacting work. Father Tim and I were talking about this earlier, and it goes on to talk about how, in fact, it assumes that we are working on this through all stages of our life. And it talks later on about how even when we're younger, it requires more intense and rigorous improvement in care and development. And so when we're talking about chastity, chastity relates to all the other virtues in the Christian faith. And it's a lifelong journey, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a religious, you have to battle against the ways of the world, against the longings of the body to live that virtue of chastity. Yeah, it becomes this lifelong mutual gift beautiful language it uses here. It says that chastity is the school of the gift of self, mm -hmm. which is important because school doesn't last like a day or two. You, you've got chastity figured out and then it's easy the rest of the way out. There's no, and there's no graduation from chastity. Right. You know, some people might think, oh, once I get married, my sexuality will be all figured out and I'll never be lonely again. And I can have sex whenever I want and mm -hmm. uh, ask any married couple. That's not how it works, but rather chastity, like you said, it's long and exacting work. And it's a lifelong school of the gift of self. And it talks about how, in fact, the place that chastity blossoms is within friendship. Mm -hmm. oh, and I beautiful. love that statement yeah. because we struggle with friendship today. Yeah. Yeah. Friendships are so hard. Yet that is where we learn chastity, that giving of self, that self-control, that love of the other person for the sake of the other person rather than our own pleasure and desires. That's where chastity begins. And we begin to see that chastity, as you were talking about earlier today when we were working on the shows, it's a yes. Mm -hmm. Chastity is being faithful to your vocation, whether you're single, married, religious, whatever it is, and conforming all of your sexual desires, your thoughts, everything into that life. Yes, and it requires grace. It's not something mm -hmm. we can do by ourselves. But take courage by this. If you hear us speaking about chastity and that word frightens you and because you know where you've fallen and you know how difficult it is, especially to try and do it by yourself, hear these words of the catechism that it is, well, you know, it's, it's a, a long and exacting work, but it also is, it, it has laws of growth, which process through stages marked by imperfection and too often by sin. It's, it's a matter of growth. And so if you're falling in chastity, um, that's a part of the growth in chastity. So take courage, um, but be vigilant, you know, be patient with yourself, but also be very vigilant about 
um, what leads to your falling and knowing that you have to learn how to fall in order to grow in chastity. It doesn't mean that God wants you to fall in chastity. It doesn't mean that he wants you to sin. But if God couldn't use that fall and couldn't use that sin to help you grow in chastity, that sin would be greater than God. And we know it's not. Yeah, that's an important point. And I think that it's also at the same time as at sometimes being more gentle on yourself is what you're saying, Father Tim. If you're not changing, if you're not getting out of the rut and the monotony of the unchaste lifestyle you're in, whether it's a porn addiction, it's, you know, overexposure to certain types of media or to certain people, it's a sign that we're not growing. And it's a sign that we need to do something to allow that growth to begin to occur, both by A, allowing it and B, seeking it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And being sought by it. Let's, let's use that language as well. You know, it's, it's a grace that God will put into our lives that we know we can't do this by ourselves. And it's a charism. Chastity is a charism that you need to get only from the Holy Spirit. And it requires tremendous self-effort, yes, but we know that it's not something done by ourselves. And it being a charism for the church, it's not for you. It's for the good of the church to build us up. It's an example and a much needed witness of the faithful in the world today. Remember that chastity is faithfulness to your vocation now, not what you want it to be tomorrow. It's faithfulness to your vocation now. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 